Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Well, eight years ago, I shook Olivia Higgins' hand as she marched along with the others, leaving my classroom at Central Connecticut State University, and I wished her well. Well, well happened (laughs) all the way along by her continuous efforts to develop herself and fulfill her idea, which we talked about way back then, that she would like to serve organization change. So she earned a master's degree and then found herself a rare opportunity to work at ESPN based here in Connecticut. For five years now, she has been cultivating herself in the role of an organization development practitioner, now managing a team that supports this very dynamic organization that knows about change because that's what they show us on on our screens. Athletes competing, winning, losing, gaining, all things happening with every sort of sport is about people in practice who are striving to change their circumstances for the better. It's a great match and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from my former student, Olivia Higgins. Well, welcome, Olivia. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate you having me on. Really excited, and it's great to see you. Did I really have to chase you that much, or am I <laughs> teasing? <laughs> teasing. Yeah, just busy days, you know, but um, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. I do know through my good friend, Kate Wall, who is in one of our episodes, that you went on after uh, working with me and uh and with Jackie Bedorian, who's also one of my episodes, uh, and earned your master's degree in organization, did I call it development or management at uh, University of Hartford? Yeah, I think when I went through the program, it was MSOP, so Masters of Psychology, I believe is what they were calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was not long after we shared the classroom together. Yeah, and that, and that turned out, and... Uh, and here you are uh, as man- managing the organization development team. How can I not say that word since I've been in the field so long uh, for ESPN? Let's talk a little bit about what happened yesterday. I mean, literally the day before today in your, in your life, at, particularly at work. Uh, sure, I can walk you through what a normal day looks like, and normal is relative, right? I was going to ask that. So- let's, let's qualify normal. <laughs> I'm, I'm setting you up on this one, but talk a little bit about that, because that'll give us a sample of what your practice is like. Yeah, sure. So these days, life is certainly different. Work is certainly different. Um, I'm not sure if your recordings capture video, but you know, my team is working from home. So an adjustment has certainly had to be made, you know, getting used to Zoom and trying to collaborate with our key stakeholders and partners in a really different way. Um, but, you know, the work has continued. I, I don't think a pandemic can stop an organization from um, having to deal with certain health 
opportunities, different changing landscapes. Our business at ESPN is certainly evolving. I mean, it has been significantly since the pandemic hit. So part of the work that I do um, mainly uh, centralizes around our more executive team. I'm sorry, right? I've got two dogs. This no, is I was going to say, you really should do something about that cough. It's really <laughs> <laughs> sorry, they will certainly be making an appearance. I just got a puppy too, so the two can wind each other up. Let me see if I can get them under control. Yeah, part of our new norm, right? Dealing with little visitors and, oh, and lab- co-workers. Well, um, lis- listeners can't see what I can see, but it looks like a Labrador retreat. I do, yes, I have two black labs. So we have an eight-year-old black lab, and I just got a pandemic puppy in April. So we have a, a second black lab. Um, thinking that they would keep each other company, but they certainly keep me company. They've been my co-workers this whole time. Well, um Folks, I'm going to show Olivia my coworker. There she is. Oh, hello. She's a totally black cat, Billy. She's almost 20 years old. Wow. And uh, our daughter Laura leaves her with us uh, while she's living in places where she can't have a cat. So she, Billy's been with us for 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter is a, a, a travel nurse. <laughs> so back to you and yeah. back to the story yesterday. So an awful lot with, with technology and in order to keep in touch with folks. Yeah. And, and, you know, the last year has been really trying for organizations for our country. And so a lot of our focus has shifted to what workplace inclusion means, how we upskill leaders to be able to handle not only working with teams across different platforms and not everybody being in the same location, but how we make that employee experience really positive and, and meaningful in a time where inclusion is invaluable, right? It's, it's critical to the um, yeah. success of a team. It's so, so easy for people to feel that they kind of flaked away from their company when they're working largely through, through media. And, uh, and what I have remembered from Mike Buesano, who's also been in the podcast, uh, was when he would come to our classes, and I probably, he probably came to the class you were attending with me, he, he talked an awful lot about how the culture, the sports and fan culture initially, but was re- replicated in some ways by that feeling within the company of uh, we are ESPN. And so that identity, which is challenged every year, you know, with different changes and corporate changes, seems to be very important. And so your job is to help, the, in part then, from what I hear, is to help the leaders the natural as well as the official leaders keep up morale and keep people feeling connected. How's that going? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we certainly live up to our motto of serving sports fans anytime, anywhere. Um, the anywhere has been evolving. But yeah, I think um, over the last year, we've tried to take a keen eye to thinking about Again, what what wellness means, what inclusion means, and how we start to move the needle with some data around that work. So, you know, some obstacles, um, a really difficult hurdle in the beginning, especially as teams were dispersed so so far apart. And then we still have a critical mass that needs to go to campus in order to perform their job. 
So how do we make sure that those employees feel safe and comfortable and appreciated for the sacrifice they were making going to campus? Um, but yeah, I think we've come a really long way, which is tremendous. And and the spirit is still really strong. Sports is still what we all live for and putting on the best, creating the best content, it's certainly our key driver. So anything that I can do to help support, again, what a positive team employee experience feels like for um, you know, employees across ESPN, it's, it's really a great opportunity for me and I love the work that we're doing. How do you gauge the positivity as you enter into these various conversations with, with people, do you have like a positivity um, thermometer in your, in your head? Uh, because it's, it doesn't always present itself very, uh, very easily. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good call out. It's interesting. You know, so much of the culture at ESPN certainly feels like a family. Mm -hmm. um, we're a company made of transplants. A lot of people come to, uh, Connecticut, Bristol, Connecticut, which is where our headquarters is from all over the country, let alone the world. So um, we come to lean on each other quite strongly. And I think through dialogue, we have lots of opportunities to chat with employees and leaders trying to understand, you know, not only, again, wellness and a, a season like we're going through now, but where they're finding these pockets of, of brightness. And I think there's um, been really great dialogue that exists. We've got a program through our diversity and inclusion team that we've been calling um, inclusive conversations. And so we've been able to run a large series of, of those conversations, uh, whether it's through employee resource groups or with departments more specifically. But it's a chance to have candid, open dialogue around the real things that we're feeling, experiencing, um, so that one, people feel like they're not alone in this period of time. But two, we start to, you know, share ideas and, and collaborate across channels that maybe otherwise we wouldn't have. And that sense of camaraderie that our campus has always felt really vibrant with in person has a chance to expand into this new kind of virtual uh, setting that we've all found ourselves in. So I think the, those conversations have certainly allowed our radar um, to go off a little bit more. I like it. Uh, as you might know, if you checked out uh, the theme of the work that my son Dave and I do in, in action research is to really take a close look at the working nature of conversation itself and what it achieves in the moment for two or more people engaged in conversation as we are now. And these turns of talk uh, bring to mind something that a very structured Q&A kind of format uh, doesn't accomplish. It accomplishes other things, but not that. So in use of these conversations, particularly as we're dealing with people's emotions and their concerns about if, how they fit in, if they fit in, all of the rest, how have you been able to moderate those conversations so that they accomplish something, but they're also authentic? Yeah. So in the beginning, I think we, we put a lot of weight on these conversations being safe places for people to to truly feel how they feel and it's important to validate that we were in a, a scary we still are um, tricky time where things aren't normal and we're all having to be agile and, and adjust to what new reality means for not only work um, but our families our personal life our health so you know it was really critical that we established 
some boundaries in these conversations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the purpose wasn't necessarily to accomplish anything in particular, but to allow a venue for people to, to talk. Yeah. Um, as we've kind of navigated through this pandemic um, and, and the evolving nature of our business and our world, you know, we've started to create some more uh, parameters around what we want to do with this content and what we want to do with what's coming out and how do we make it constructive for teams to really action against themes um, or the thematic items that are starting to kind of pop up in, in different segments or maybe even across our business. So from a data perspective, we've start, started to to migrate, again, the, the thematic um, issues or topics that were coming out of these conversations with our employee uh, data. And, and that's been a little bit difficult as well. Um, you know, we we're, we're cautious of what sentiment, measuring sentiment means these days, but we certainly know um, that, that providing at least the outlet and starting to channel up these opportunities to leaders, we're seeing the needle move little by little. Yeah, I, I kind of, not kind of, I actually admire that notion of, of participating in these conversations uh, over enough of a period of time that themes do emerge. And, and I think that's something that, that Dave and I, and Peter Vale for that matter, uh, who said, let's have conversations as part of what we're learning together, Peter and I, uh, you listen for certain uh, symbolic ways that people are speaking with each other, but eventually you start getting this sense that uh, this kind of thought, this kind of word, this kind of uh, look, even if you're looking at them virtually, is coming out coming across quite often. So you are, I would kind of put you into the sense of you are like the lifeguard, <laughs> and, and let me let me try to not ruin that analogy too much. But when I was a lifeguard, I spent a lot of time watching the, in most cases, the kids having a, a wonderful time in my pool. And my worst fear was that I would not be watching when something happened. So I had to become more disciplined as a true guard of their life and well-being. In a way, are you sort of like that? Because you're not in the water with them. You're not producing media content. But how does that resonate with you? Well, I do love a good doc analogy. So I was waiting to see where we were <laughs> Oh, you know, I have, a, I have a hundred of them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting you chose a lifeguard because I do think that really resonates with, with the nature of the work that we're doing. So I'm, I'm an organizational development professional, right? I'm a manager within that OD space, but my larger team is, is what we call development, inclusion, and wellness. And so mm. that carries the other functions of diversity and inclusion, wellness, talent management, and learning. And so together, we are certainly lifeguards in, in this ESPN pool. And I think it's, it's fascinating um, because we've got to rely on our key partners and, and, you know, our business partners, HR business partners who help bring some issues to our attention. It's a critical opportunity for us to keep each other, you know, have a seat at the table. Um, but as we think about 
you know, the safety or the, the well-being or the experience of our employees in this pool, it certainly is a, a, a driver for us to be aware and start to diagnose or even intervene when we see that there's a need. So yes. whether that's jumping in to try to yeah, you know, uh, rescue. Um, I, or I did get wet a few times. <laughs> yeah. Or if it's a little less, um, you know, it, it may be slightly Sometimes we have to be reactive. Sometimes we have to be proactive. Um, and so we're really trying to find that balance, especially in this new reality that we're in right now. So as we're hearing things, as we're catching wind, as we're seeing, observing, um, we're starting to, to put some things into motion. And I think my team has done a fantastic job supporting all of these dimensions of an employee experience at ESPN over the last year tremendously. Are you personally back on campus now that Connecticut is more open than it was for months and months? No, so I'm not, I'm, I'm still home right now, but I am part of our planning team for returning, um, for returning to office and what that's going to look like. So that's been, you know, a huge project for, for me, for my group over the last year, thinking about how we safely bring people back. And as I mentioned earlier, we've got critical mass that's already on campus. Um, so, if, you know, our 4,000 employees out of Bristol, roughly, you know, at any given day, we could go five, six, 700 people on campus just for the nature of their work, having to push a button to do their job and in an right. oversimplified way, right? Yeah. But running, uh, yeah. running the cameras and doing all the other. You yep. have Sports don't I, stop. <laughs> what I remember from when Mike would visit the class, you have in the new, what he called the new building, which he was facilitating getting finished up. The studios in that building are beyond state of the art. Uh, a lot of hundreds of millions of dollars go into uh, having both in the campus as well as out in the field, really extraordinarily good technology. So here's a world where technology and human behavior definitely marry, uh, not only in terms of how you produce ESPN content, now it comes out to the phone. <laughs> I remember Mike would ask the class, how many of you watch ESPN on your phones? And about two thirds of the your eight years ago or so would raise their hand. I suppose it would be a hundred percent now. But my point is that you, um, what you're really doing with that technology is you're studying practice. You're studying and presenting, studying in the sense of putting an eye on a basketball player, a football player, a soccer player, it's, you know, whatever sport you're focusing on, it's humans behaving. <laughs> and they're behaving at such a high level of excellence that they achieve the status of being in the kinds of premier sports where they make a good living, but also they they're seen on ESPN. So how does that sense of how you are really making ultimately your living by virtue of the highly successful practitioners of various sports, do you get that feeling what I'm saying? Does it make you feel like you should put your best in every day too? <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. I think um, we all take a page from, from the athletes that we uh, not only showcase, but that we, we honor in our content. Right. And when we think about what it means to be a sports fan, that's really the driver for how we all show up to work every day. And so as fans of, you know, basketball, football, you know, the Olympics, tennis, anything that may cross our airwaves, it's it's really a motivator for us to show up and, and be not only part of the team, but really get into the game when we need to. So 
I think it's it's helped uh, me as an OD practitioner think about innovation, strategy, transformation. There's so much that just from watching a football game, you can learn about you know, ways to, to kind of think differently and challenge yourself to come up with new plays and get really creative. And mm-hmm. I certainly think um, the, the employees across ESPN over the last year have just completely blown me away with their dedication to the work, but the way that they've been innovative and in bringing content to our platforms and thinking about evolving our business in ways that maybe we hadn't thought about 10 years ago. If you haven't seen, we've got a Snapchat channel and things like that are just so cool and and smart and quick. It's fantastic. You're you're in a culture of innovation for sure. Uh, It's almost innovate or else (laughs) Uh, for all the media companies. This morning when I was watching the uh, uh, early, early um, morning news show, they featured the fact that, uh, Amazon was purchasing MGM Studios. And then they went on to talk about uh, the various big companies, and you're a Disney company, and how they are all making huge organization transformations from a a legal standpoint, an ownership standpoint. And the, the question would be, well, why? And one of the commentators said, if anyone is watching us right now, that's why every one of these companies are making these moves. They want eyes on their product. <laughs> and, then, and then they sell the data from those eyes and not, you know, in terms of how many people are watching a particular movie or a particular sport event. That's uh, part of the coin of the realm. Is that true or am I just making that up? No, I, you're, you're certainly on track, I think, um, for, and this is not my specialty, but I know that for the sake of the way our business is is evolving, it's certainly um, important for us to be thinking about what audience expansion means and how we, as we gain perhaps different um, intellectual properties or content, or we think about distribution in new ways, ESPN has a new streaming platform, uh, and those things are ways for us to think about hitting audiences that maybe are underserved, mm-hmm. sports groups that you know may not have a main stage like cricket. And there's ways for us to bring our content into to different niches in the marketplace, and that's that's really important to us. So, um, you know, the evolution, the innovation, those things are really critical. And I think the Walt Disney Company and ESPN have always been kind of ahead of the curve in that regard. The inclusion part of your of your overall team uh, certainly has to do with employees, but there's also I we've learned through COVID actually millions of people who are living circumstances even which they which prevented them getting their kids through uh, to school virtually because they didn't have access to cable or they didn't have the right equipment. And it always thought that how much these, the stories, the sports legends, you know, they started out in a poor part of New York city or whatever, and then they fought their way out. But we may have a whole bunch of folks who would love to have much more eyes on, on such content as you provide, but they still may not have it. Maybe we'll get that high speed broadband when Congress does its, its job and that will help 
But uh, do you have, are you aware in the sense of how people are feeling if I'm in uh, African-American in your company, but I have this feeling that perhaps a whole lot of African-American kids are not yet as able to grab a hold of ESPN content. Uh, That's a conversation too. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly cautious because I don't want to speak for any group that I'm not a part of. Um, Absolutely not. But you know, as, as a sports fan, how do you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, I think w- what I can say is that I'm really proud of the efforts that, you know, the Walt Disney Company and ESPN have made specifically over the last year and a half around inclusion and what that means, not only for our sports fans, but for our employees. And so we're, we're first of all, we've taken a, a critical eye to what our experience is for consumers and employees. Mm-hmm. And creating at least awareness and a baseline gives us an opportunity to, to move and get better. And so with that information, we're certainly standing up not only new internal programs, um, one of which I help support around um, inclusion leadership assessments for executives. And I think it's really helped create a spotlight for, you know, again, awareness of how we are perceived as leaders and where we should be thinking about expanding our developmental energy and efforts into evolving inclusive leadership, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, from, from a company perspective, how we think about getting sports into neighborhoods and supporting kids. I think it's an an alarming rate that kids aren't doing sports as much these days. Their programs aren't as available. Their communities don't have the funds. And so we've been a huge sponsor of trying to get kids to go out and play. And we're trying to, you know, think creatively about how we get that into every community, every neighborhood, um, and bringing those success stories to our airwaves. So it's, it's been really motivating to to see the growth, but we have a long way to go. We still have much more we can do. Oh yeah. But wow, that, that's a great answer. And, and, and it, it doesn't surprise me uh, with the spirit that I know uh, is so prominent in that business. Uh, Now I want to finish our last few minutes talking about you as still a very young but highly promising uh, organization development practitioner. Uh, what do you see ahead? Now, setting aside for a moment the company, but in terms of your ongoing development that you have control over, another degree, <laughs> what's ahead? I would love to go back to school. I think when you're a learner, you're a lifelong learner. And so there's certainly energy I get from being in a classroom and learning from colleagues and sharing experiences. I think I was maybe out of CCSU for two years before I started my master's program at the University of Hartford. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure my days in a classroom aren't over yet, um, <laughs> but there's there's other really great ways that HR professionals can supplement their education, whether that's through certification programs or SHRM is another great organization. Anything that, you know, can help kind of focus and drive energy, I'm I'm always an advocate for. So for me personally, um, I've been kind of our assessment leader at ESPN, thinking about ways we can leverage not only the information we get out of there, but the experience we're providing our employees and there's going to be some some new um, new areas of opportunity in that bucket for me, and I think, you know, I challenge Kate all the time. Kate Wall, she she's in my head about thinking about a doctorate program, and you know, I I certainly see that perhaps in the not too distant future. Oh, that would be lovely. It really would be. 
Uh-huh. Now, um, you have uh, had an opportunity since you started there some years back now to go with that flow in terms of when you find that there's an unfilled source of expertise that you could provide and you're not there yet. You've learned very quickly and begin to provide that expertise. You just mentioned that now you're developing some strength and assessment. Is that sort of how you've developed yourself with the, you know, the within the contours of what the company needs from you and your team? Yeah, I think that when you're aware, right, like you start to notice that there's these pockets that may be underserved or there's opportunity to grow. It's about speaking up. It's about bringing your ideas to the table. And I think, um, you know, as scope and uh, scale really expand in this new way that we're working, there's, you know, no lack of opportunity for people to be calling attention to to things that they think are important. So, you know, over the last five years or so that I've been at ESPN, it's having an opportunity, having a great leadership team that allows me to speak up. I I fully recognize that not every organizational culture has, um, you know, has employees that can challenge leaders, can challenge a status quo, can say what's on their mind. And I've been fortunate to experience leadership that's really open to hearing my ideas, hearing areas I may be frustrated and and where I think we've got opportunities to remedy or create change. So that idea of transformation and, and having a culture that allows me to speak up, I think they've been critical to the success and the growth that I've had. Um, I think the older and the, the more in my career I become, I recognize what value there is on professional maturity. Um, and I think that it's a huge learning curve when students come out of their education programs and they go into the workplace to oh, yeah. kind of balance this idea of wanting to bring ideas to the table in a way that's still really professional and mature. Um, and there's there's a learning curve with that, but I've certainly come to find quite a sweet spot. And I think when you get into that place, you start to really be recognized for your contributions and the value that you can bring to the team. Um, and and you get the runway that you need to start acting on some of the, the great ideas that you have. Well, that's that's a that's a, tre- a tremendous way of capping off our conversation because uh, what Peter Vale and I had have in our way of thinking about practice is that you're if one is constantly pursuing ever increasingly challenging results which you are and have been and circumstances change which they sure do wherever you are brought by your practice into that particular moment in time that context is where you do a head scratch and you say, now what's going on here? Now what's under my feet? Now who uh, is, whose voices are in my head who, or who must I speak with in order to continue to grow and change? And you've, you, you've just answered how that works. But it's in the growing and changing oneself that Peter and I dedicated this entire podcast and I very much hope to finish the manuscript that he started because that's what we believe would be the greatest payoff of all. If everyone who chose to work at a practice level like you would understand that as tough as things have been for you this last year and a half and your people you're serving, you're growing and changing. 
Olivia, I don't even recognize you. You're so grown up. <laughs> I know. Well, hopefully I still have some some childish, some youthful glow. Um, oh, yes, you glow. You, do. you have a nice <laughs> yeah, glow. I, mean, I think what you're doing with this podcast is amazing. I've certainly become a fan myself in the way that you've shared the link. And if I could leave just two, my last two cents, it would be for people to constantly seek feedback, fail fast, and stay agile because there's so much we can do when we're open to growing. Um, and so keeping that mindset of, you know, being a lifelong learner is certainly going to take people far. Thanks a lot, Olivia. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcasts where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.